0: I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7, and I wanted to begin, as you're turning there, I'm going to make reference to some things that are in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, in First Corinthians 15, this is the chapter that Paul talks about the resurrection of Jesus in, and Paul says that if, if there is no resurrection, if there is no uh, death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus, then we are still in our sins. And we are, we're hopeless. We're without hope in the world like everybody else. And so Paul goes on to say that if, if, we're, if we only have hope for Jesus in this life only, we're of all men most miserable. But Paul quickly turns that around to the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has declared himself to be God. He declared himself to be uniquely the Son of Man which was a reference to a a prophecy that Daniel gave that would clearly distinguish and denote that Jesus Christ is declaring that he is the Son of God. He is the unique Son of God. There is nobody else like Jesus. There, God has no other Son like Jesus Christ. He is the only begotten of the Father. He's eternally existent and he became flesh and he dwelt among us. And he lived a sinful life, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ was anointed to bring deliverance and healing and power into people's lives, showing himself that he is this unique son of the living God. He prophesied his death, and just as he prophesied, they took his life on a cross, and he was buried in a grave for three days. And then on the third day, the first day of the week, which is Sunday, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he showed himself alive with many infallible proofs to multiple numbers of people. Even at one time, Jesus appeared among 500 people at once who all testified of that. Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has now become the central focus of all human history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the most unique event, and, and we would have to qualify that as being the life of Jesus, right? Obviously, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is the most unique event that ever happened in human history. Everything that occurred with Jesus was the most unique event that ever happened in human history. But his resurrection is, is something that kind of stands off by itself in this regard. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the loud declaration of God that Jesus Christ is indeed who he said that he was. That the eternal God of all creation raised Jesus Christ from the dead, thus validating every claim that Jesus Christ made. Many people have claimed to be divine Many people have claimed to be a God. Many people have claimed to have a unique relationship with God. They're dead. Their bones are in the grave. But Jesus Christ is the only man in all of human history who is alive from the dead. His grave is empty. He's shown himself to multiple people after his resurrection. He was witnessed to as he ascended into heaven, not only by man, but by heaven and the angels of God. And the Apostle Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you think. It changes the aspect of suffering and persecution and torture in this life. If there is no resurrection, why suffer? If there's no resurrection, why face persecution? If there's no resurrection, why face hardship? If there's no resurrection, why tithe and give offerings or care about orphans? But if there is a resurrection of Jesus Christ, then it changes absolutely everything about our life now and our life hereafter. And any person, any sane person who understands and believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you cannot live your life as though it doesn't matter. You cannot. Your faith will not allow you to. And so I want to challenge you in that. And the title of this message is Where and Why You Work. And so I just want you to stay with me through this. Because I want you to know the joy of really serving the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, the great king. The fact of the resurrection, as I've said, changes everything. Because God is going to raise you up. And because God is going to hand out rewards in eternity... This fact alone has to change the motive of how you work, why you work, why you live, what you do. The fact that you are going to be raised up by God and the fact that God is offering to reward your life on earth has to change you. And it has to change why you do what you do. That there is an afterlife and a kingdom ...in which you can lay your treasures up into... ...has to transform all of your motives in life... ...from just biting your lip and getting through the day... ...or enduring it, whatever it is that you have to endure... ...and anxiously await our arrival into heaven. If there is honestly a possibility... ...that I can lay treasures up in heaven... Then why wouldn't I live doing that? If there is a promise from God that I am going to reward individuals when they enter into my kingdom, why would I ignore that invitation from God and live as though rewards are not possible? And I promise you God does not meet out rewards the way this society today does that everybody's a winner. If God is telling you, you can lay treasures up in heaven, he's also telling you that you may not lay up treasures in heaven. And if God is saying that I'm going to reward individuals in my kingdom, he also tells us in first Corinthians chapter four and five, that some people are going to enter into my kingdom by the skin of their teeth. There are no rewards for them. And honestly, guys, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea what it looks like to go into the kingdom of God with a treasury full. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means fully to the extent that God is going to reward individuals and what that is going to mean to them. But I do know this, that Jesus clearly and soberly admonished us, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth Where thieves can steal it and moth can corrupt it. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And if Jesus made that declaration to us, why would I not take it seriously if there is a resurrection? If you don't believe in a resurrection, that I would understand why those, those aspects of rewards and treasures in heaven would mean nothing to you. I totally understand it. And you should live for this world. And you should lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And you really even shouldn't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You should enjoy as much of this day that you possibly can. Because you don't know if you're going to live the next one. So live it up and get as much of the world as you possibly can. And live in as much peace and freedom from persecution if you can. If there is no resurrection. And some of you live or believe that are not certain that there is a resurrection. So I understand this doesn't affect you. But for multitudes of us in this room, it does affect us and it should affect us. And though I do not understand fully what it means to have treasure in heaven and to lay up treasure in heaven and what that's going to look like for me in eternity or to receive rewards and what that's going to look like for me in eternity, though I don't understand it in its fullness, I can tell you this, I take Jesus very seriously and if he's extended to me an opportunity, I want to take advantage of it. And if I can lay treasures up in heaven, then I certainly want to, because I don't want to go into heaven with an empty account. And I don't want to go to heaven by the skin of my teeth and have no rewards. And so I assure you, and it always has since I was a young child, I have been moved by the fact that I can lay treasure up in heaven And there's a possibility of being rewarded by God. That has moved me in my life. And it has disturbed my life. And it's disturbed my relationship with God, I believe, in a very good way. And so this fact to me changes everything about my life and everything that I do. Why I work and where I work and what I do. I'm not bound by the attitude that suggests you just put up with this life until you enter the joys of heaven. As a matter of fact, in First Corinthians 15, Paul's point, the whole point that he's making because of the resurrection is there's suffering and there's heartache in this life. And if you're trusting in Jesus and your only hope for Jesus is in this life, then you're miserable. Because it's a miserable world and this world does not like Christians And this world does not like Jesus. And it's not going to be an easy life for you if you follow Jesus Christ. It will be miserable. But if he is raised from the dead, then it's not miserable. It's actually pretty exciting. And therefore, I gladly fight the beast at Ephesus, Paul says, because the dead are raised. And so he's not saying because the dead are raised and Christ lives And we're going to go to heaven one day, bury yourself, and escape suffering, and escape persecution, and and try to live the most comfortable life that you possibly can. Instead, Paul says this, put your life on the line. I mean, if Jesus lives, and you're going to live, then go all out for Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he concludes... His chapter in First Corinthians 15 by saying this. Because there is a, rex- a resurrection. Because Jesus lives. And because you will live forever. And God will raise you up. Be steadfast. Unmovable. Abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is not in vain. Well what do you mean my labor is not in vain? I mean this. Everything I do on earth. Has an eternal value. If I'm doing that in faith. And through the power of God. Or by the grace of God. And this is very exciting because it changes everything for me. Heaven will take over this world. The kingdom of God has invaded the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is the declaration that the new creation has already begun. For Jesus Christ was raised in a body different than Lazarus was raised. And different than Jairus' daughter was raised. They were raised in a flesh and blood body that would die again. Jesus was raised in a flesh and bone body that was of a spiritual nature and would never die again. And was glorified and could walk through objects. The new creation began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Assuring me that my investment in the kingdom of God is not in vain. I will not regret my service to Jesus Christ and my life for him. And that's what this declares to me. And so I want you to understand that the church's mission today, when we appeal to you to be involved in God's kingdom, to be involved in kingdom work, to be involved with the ministries of the church, this is not something that we're offering you to do some irrelevant temporal type of labor for today to help you feel good about a few things, but it's actually central to the advancement and the enlargement of the kingdom of God. It is not an opportunity for you to join some mission project that fits into your schedule, but it's no big deal if you don't, for everybody's gonna be happy in heaven. And yes, everybody's gonna be happy in heaven. And I believe that everybody who enters heaven will hear God say, Well done. Enter in into the joys of my kingdom. I believe that. But I also believe that we can lay treasures up in heaven. And receive rewards in heaven. The faith by which you work. Are not temporal ways of trying to have purpose here. Until you can leave it all behind and go to heaven one day. You're not doing this for simply today. But a lot of believers have that mentality. It's just something that we do on earth to make it a little bit better while we pass through and hopefully have an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus with somebody that maybe we helped. That is a very limited and temporal understanding of God's kingdom. You're not doing this for this moment. It is not temporal. It is not like you're putting a band aid on a cancer. In regards to the fact that the world is bad and it's going to get worse until Jesus Christ comes back. And so all we're doing is just putting a little band-aid on this big wound that we call corruption in the world. Our present life in this body is not valueless just because we're going to die. But God is going to raise us up. And what you do in this body, in this moment of time that the Bible says is like a vapor. It's gone quickly. What you do now matters for all eternity. And what you don't do to some degree has to matter for all of eternity. What I'm about to list to you are opportunities. But listen, they have to be opportunities that we step out in faith in. And the grace of God working through us. Preaching, singing, choirs, playing instruments, ushering greeting, sewing, knitting, praying, teaching, building hospitals, building orphanages, building schools, fighting for social justice, political campaigns that bring the cooperation for God's kingdom to function in the earth, political campaigning against the powers of hell, digging water wells, writing, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor. Tithes, offerings, alms, technical teams, children's church, fireplace, bag testimony ministries on our university campuses, food storage ministries and feeding programs and cleaning the, the church and so forth like that, food for the sick, packaging shoe boxes for Christmas, joining prayer groups, home Bible studies, writing cards, volunteering to serve, All of these things are going to go with you into eternity because there's nothing you do on earth that's temporal. Now, I say that again. These are things that we must do in faith and by the grace of God. But what we give on earth continues in heaven. And there's nothing that we have forsaken for the kingdom of God that will go unrewarded, Jesus said, in this life and in the life to come. Isn't that what he said? Peter said to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you, everything to follow you. And Jesus turns around to Peter and he says, let me tell you something, Peter, nobody who has forsaken anything. And he gives this list of homes and lands and wives and children and mothers and fathers. Nobody who has left these things for my sake and for the kingdom's sake shall go unrewarded, but they will be rewarded even a hundredfold in this life and in the one to come. What have you forsaken for the kingdom of God? He promises a reward, but sometimes it's very difficult for us to forsake things. Suffering and death are not the final outcome. They are necessary means of reward for the kingdom of God, for this world is at war with God's kingdom. And God has called us to be at war with the principalities and powers of this world. And you can't be in war and think that you will come out without some type of conflict in your life. But you just choose which kingdom you want to fight for. And you're fighting for one of them. You can't be neutral. You're either fighting in the kingdom of God or you're fighting in the kingdom of darkness. You cannot be neutral in this conflict. To do nothing is to join against God. But to live by faith is to join with God. And so you don't waste your life by where you work. But you could waste your life because of why you work. And I just want you to understand that. Your life is not a waste because of where you work. But it could be a waste in regards to why you work. And some people have this attitude... That because I'm not in ministry, or I'm not on a stage, or I'm not a preacher, or I'm not a missionary, I'm a second-rate Christian. And nothing could be further from the truth. Your life of value is not greater because you're a pastor, or an apostle, or a prophet, or an evangelist, or a teacher. Your life of value is to live by faith... In the place of life that God has stationed you. And you do that with all of your might. If you are here this morning and you say, well, I I don't have a particular job. My my job, which is an incredible job, is taking care of my home. And so I, I I care for the home and I care for the kids and I care for my husband. What an incredible job. You have an extremely valuable job to raise your children in the admonition of the Lord. You have an incredible job to create an atmosphere in your home that is full of liberty and freedom and praise. It's an incredible opportunity for us. That is extremely valuable because you could raise the next preacher that might bring a nation to its knees before God. Like Hannah did, giving birth to Samuel and praying over him while she was weaning him to hand over to God. The possibilities of this are unlimited of what God may want to do. So I come to the text in 1 Corinthians 7. And I want you to see this because the Corinthians were trying to get out of their marriages because some of them were getting saved and their spouses were not getting saved. And so they were saying, well, I'm a Christian now and my spouse isn't Christian, so I'm divorcing and I'm out of this marriage. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's that's not what we do. Your relationship with Jesus sanctifies your lost spouse and we pray that they get saved. And so he's talking about his their station in life. It was not only in marriage. It was in other things as well. People were quitting their secular jobs. Because they got saved. They immediately wanted to get out of the secular work field. And get into quote spiritual work. Spiritual ministry. Which is a mistake. And so Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians 7. And I'm going to begin in verse 17. But as God has distributed to every man... As the Lord has called everyone, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all the churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in circumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide In the same calling wherein he was called. Are you called being a servant? Care not for it. But if you may be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man, wherein he is called, therein abide with God. And in other words, what Paul is saying to the believers is this, that not because you get saved, not everybody should quit their jobs and go with Paul on the mission field. But a lot of times, that's the emotion and the passions that we have because we've fallen in love with Jesus. And that is the distortion that the professional political church world has given to people. I'm important because I'm a pastor. You're not important because you're not. That does not come from God or his word. In the body of Christ, there is no hierarchy or person better than another person. But we're just fit into the body of Christ where God has placed us. And if you got saved as a public school teacher, keep being a public school teacher. Don't compromise Jesus. If they kick you out, they kick you out. But don't but don't quit being a public school teacher because it's it's your mission field. So in the, in the station or in the place that you got saved in, if you're an engineer, if you're a doctor or, or whatever it might be that you're doing and you get saved and you get born again, you don't have to have this overwhelming sense that, oh, my gosh, if I give my life to Jesus Christ, he's going to send me to the Congo. And I I just don't know that I can... No, God is saying to us this. Listen, when I bring you to Jesus Christ and salvation, I'm not intending you guys to quit your jobs so that now you can do something that you think is important to me. It is important to me where you are. It's important to me what you were doing where I saved you because now I want to transform that place. That's your mission field. If everybody quit their jobs and started following Paul around on the mission field, how is Paul going to keep going? Where's his support system? Where's the base that Paul is going to have to do the things that he wants him to do? God has assigned unbelievers to positions in life where their conversion would have a significant impact on his glory. When we are converted, we should not jump to the conclusion that my job now must change. Rather, we should think that God has put me here and now I have the opportunity to display his worth and his value by changing my life. Where people that I've worked with for so long will be able to see the transformation. I struggle, I personally struggle to understand that the attitude is that I must find my significance in the mission field or in some other country and not my present job. I struggle to understand that. I struggle to understand people wanting to become ministers. I, I, I say this with, with the greatest respect for ministry. If you can do anything else, do it. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. Push a cart in Walmart. You don't want to do this. You don't understand. This is not something that you, you just want to say, Oh, that looks so nice. That looks so easy. That looks so good. So most... Challenging thing that you could ever imagine possible. And I, do, I wouldn't want to do what you do if God hasn't called me to it. How could I do what you do if God has not called me to that? I can only do what God has called me to do and the grace that He's giving me to do it in. And I should rejoice in that. I should be satisfied and happy with that. And so this struggle that now that I'm a Christian, my value is my work on a mission field or in a foreign country. My God, America needs missionaries. Our public school systems need missionaries. Our workplaces need missionaries of Jesus Christ that are not ashamed of the gospel and they're going to declare it. And yet a lot of times the people that are longing for the mission field or longing for the ministry may do very little in their own local church to make a difference there. As though it's going to be magical when I step out of America and step into the Congo. Boom, the heavens open. And and I'm Smith Wigglesworth now. You know, I, it's like, watch out hell because I've just arrived in the Congo and I'm going to turn this place upside down. No, no, the quality and the, and the grace in my life that was being exercised through me when I was here is going to be no different when I get here, except the fact is, it's possible when I get here, I could be filled with incredible pride to think I am the answer to the Congo when I'm not. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is primary and it is everything. There are people in your work who are lost. And I guarantee you that there's somebody in that lost person's life who's praying for them. God save them. Maybe it's somebody's baby, somebody's child. And they're praying fervently day and night for God to save their their child. Who's just walked into a life of darkness and corruption. And perhaps your salvation is the answer to their prayer. Because now God has redeemed somebody in that workplace. Who has a relationship with that lost child. And you're part of the answer to their prayer. But all we're looking for is a way out. To go somewhere else to work with Christians. Christians living only with Christians and working only with Christians would never accomplish God's purposes in the world. It's never what he wanted. He wanted us in the world but not of it. That's what Jesus said in John 17. I pray for them, Father. I pray that you keep them from the evil one. And then he he declared to us, you're in the world but you're not of the world. I need you to be in it. As the light of the world. I, I need you to be in it as the salt of the earth. I need you to, to move among it. When, when, when I said don't eat with them. I wasn't talking about the worldly people. I was talking about people who claim to be Christians. That are living a corrupt life. I wasn't talking about the lost. Eat with them. Fellowship with them. Take them out to lunch. Well you don't understand. They they're they have the foulest mouth you could ever imagine. Great, there's a God who cleans hearts, and when He cleans a heart, He can clean a mouth. Well, what if I go out to eat with some of these people, and somebody from my church shows up, and they see me sitting at a table with some people that are drinking, you know, and 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 they're vile and they're and they're saying horrible words and all of this, and you're you're there. What what is my church going to think about me? What are the Christians going to think about me? Listen, if they think anything about you, like the Pharisees thought about Jesus because he ate with sinners, we don't need them in this church. Because Jesus had the reputation of eating with sinners and fellowshipping with them and being around the drunks and the glutton. But Jesus wasn't there drinking. Jesus wasn't there getting drunk. Jesus wasn't there cursing. He was telling them stories about how the prodigal son came back to the father and the father was waiting to meet them. He was talking about mercy and love and kindness and forgiveness and the kingdom of God. And when we are with them, if we do go have lunch with them, that's what we should be all about. Telling them about God. Telling them about the gospel. Telling them about the kingdom of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful? You, you go up to people and you say to people at work, you say to people in your life, hey, do you, do you know Jesus? And, and nine out of ten people are going to tell you they know Jesus. And you say, do you, do you go to church? And everybody's got a church. I was witnessing one day at Live at Five. True story. Witnessing at Live at Five. I would go out downtown and where they're playing the music and Danielle was leading us out there and we're going around handing tracks out and I'm terrified doing things like this. It scares me out of my mind to go up to strangers and do anything with them, you know. So I'm just doing this, and I, so I got these papers. I said, "Do you want one of these?" You know, and and so, you know, I, I must say, "Do you want a track?" I, I, people ask me if I wanted a track, I'd say no. You know, so do you want one of these? And so, I, I, I was giving this out. There was, a, there was about five people standing around on the car. I said, "Do you want one of these?" And the lady said, "Well, what is it?" And I said, "Well, it's a gospel church." Well, I got a church. I said, great. That's wonderful. I said, she said, where do you, I said, where do you go to church? She said, first new Testament. I said, said, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. She said, yes, I love the pastor. God is my witness. I love the pastor. I said, oh man, that's what, what's his name? Well, it's, um, I can't recall right off, but. We're good friends. And I said, that is what I couldn't bring myself to say anything. I just couldn't. I I just couldn't do it. God is my witness that actually happened. All right. And so so we go up to people and we say, do you want to go to heaven when you die? I mean, almost any sane person. Yeah. Uh, Do you believe in God? Practically everybody in the South Bible Belt. Yeah. I believe in God. Yeah. I got a church. I was raised Baptist. I was raised Catholic. I was raised this. I was raised that just just stop that type of leading question that everybody's going to say yes to, and maybe just approach somebody and say, Would you like to walk with jesus would you, If you would like to walk with Jesus, I would love to help you. I'd just love to be a friend with you. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about the Bible. you have any questions about the Bible? Would you like to just spend some time, maybe go have lunch sometime and talk about the Bible? You got questions about God? I, I just, you know, I'm learning so much about the Lord. I'm learning so much about God. And, you know, I, I used to not walk with Jesus. I didn't really care for those things. But, man, I just had an experience with God that just really changed my life. Are you interested? Would you like to walk with Jesus? I'd like to. And, and that's a yes or no answer, really. Or maybe a, a maybe. Maybe I would. And 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 perhaps we could really begin to disciple people. Rather than just, you know, be able to say, hey, I just want y'all to know that I led 10 people in the sinner's prayer this past week. And you never see those 10 people. You never see them. And, and maybe they were spiritually aborted somewhere and they didn't make it. We're supposed to carry things through to the term of birth so they're born and they're alive and they can sustain themselves in Christ, which is discipleship. It's it's our ability to help people and nurture them in Christ. And and God knows where we are. He, He knows where we work. He knows what we're doing. Now, the Holy Spirit can call you out into something else, and that's fine. You follow the Lord, and you just know that that's God, but Even Paul was called out from what he was doing to go serve the Lord. But I'm just simply saying, it shouldn't be my first thought. Now that I'm born again, if I want to have significance in my life, I've got to get out of this job and get into real Christian work. No, what you're doing is the most real Christian work that anybody is doing in this city. It is the most real. It does more for the kingdom of God, probably, than I do on a Sunday morning in here. Because you're actually... Bringing the gospel to the lost people of this city. Do it with boldness. Do it with gladness. What if they reject me? They rejected Jesus. So just accept that as a very real possibility. But just don't let them reject you because you're obnoxious. I mean, have have some character about you. Some quality about you. A quality about the gospel that's attractive. Jesus is attractive. You know? Don't go attacking them for their sin. You know? You're, 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 you're just this, you're just rebellious. You're just an adulterer. You're just a pornography. You're just, and you need to, they can't stop that no more than you can stop your own sin. They need the grace of God. They need the hope that there's redemption through Jesus Christ, that there's a Holy spirit who can save us and wash our sins away and change our heart. Well, I could never be a Christian. I could never be good. I could never, you know, I love these things that I shouldn't love. Yeah, but do you agree that those things are wrong and offensive to God? Yeah, but I love it. If if you agree that they're wrong and they're offensive to God, would you believe that God could change your heart? And things that you love right now, maybe one day you would not love anymore. Would you just ask God? Would you just begin to pray, God, would you change my heart? Because I know that your judgment's gonna come against these things, and I don't want them to come against me. So would you change my just just help people get to Jesus? Just help them get there, be able to do that. And so God saves us in these places that we're working in, because God knows that there's somebody there that needs me, and and I've reached your heart, and now I can reach their heart. So don't leave me, God would say. I've saved you and placed you here for this very moment and this very intention. I just want to look. I'll quote it to you for the sake of time. In Romans 15, 24, Paul says this. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. To be helped on my journey there by you. And so Paul is saying this to the Romans that I'm passing through Rome on my way to Spain. I'm going to stop by and see you. Because I need you to help me get to Spain. He's just talking about monetary help. Monetary support. And so I'm trusting that when I get there you're going to help me out. And and so listen, that, that's an essential thing. It really is. That God positions us. And so now I understand that why I work. It's not where I work. But now I understand why I work. Is because now I work as a servant of Jesus Christ. In a place that needs the witness of Jesus Christ and somebody to be able to share the gospel, not only with my mouth, but my life. Somebody needs to know the love of God. So I'm going to be given an opportunity to love somebody in this workplace that has not seen God's love before. And I'm going to be able to do that. I'm going to be able to show sacrifice. Maybe when they abuse me for being a Christian and they find out I'm Christian now, they're going to treat me so differently. But guess what? When they treat me that way and they curse me, I can bless them and I can show them Jesus. And so this is why I work. And I also work for this reason. I also work so I can get this guy to Nepal. I also work so I can help this ministry to the orphans or to the, to the digging of the wells. So, so, this, so I, I also understand that one of the chief reasons of my occupation is that I might be able to help people go where I cannot go, and people that are called to go there, I can help them go there. Because I'm not called to go there, at least not yet. Maybe one day I will be. But right now I'm not called to go there. I'm called to send people there. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, he said, If if there are those that are lost and perishing, they need the gospel. And so they need somebody to preach to them. But how can they preach to them if there's no preacher? And how can there be a preacher if there's nobody to send them? And so we understand that my participation in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not irrelevant. If it weren't for me, preachers couldn't go, missionaries couldn't go, evangelists would not be evangelizing because this is a collective effort for all of us. And when I support people who are doing the work of God, I'm not second rate. And when I get into heaven and if I help Noah get to Nepal and Noah goes to Nepal and there's one pastor that's about to quit... But now he's inspired to keep going or somebody that gets saved. Then when we get to heaven, God's not going to just pull Noah out here and say, hey, I want to reward you for your mission to Nepal. But he's going to pull Noah out and he's going to pull Lee ship out and he's going to pull some of you out. He's going to be able to say, y'all did this by faith in my grace. You did this. And so I'm not just rewarding Noah because he went. I didn't call you to go, I called him to go, but you made it possible for him to go. So all of you get the reward. Praise God. I'm building a treasure in heaven. I'm I'm, I'm providing for a reward in heaven. And some some of you might say, well, you know what, That's, that's not a right motive. You shouldn't be living for rewards. Why does the Bible talk about them? They're rewards. Rewards. And so why shouldn't we take these things seriously? I I believe that what we're going to get to do with them, it's not just in the context of casting my crowns at his feet. Though we're going to be able to do that. That's going to be a glorious moment if we have crowns to cast. And I pray that we do. But I think rewards are going to go a lot Further on into the type of responsibility that we're going to have in the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ in the sense of rulership and reigning and responsibility that we're going to have in his kingdom. And a lot of people that are at first in the world today, they're going to be last then. And a lot of people that are last in this world are going to be first. And a lot of people are last because they just think, you know what, I, I never got to go to the mission field and give this incredible testimony. I never got to preach in a pulpit and preach on a stage or preach to hundreds of people or even thousands of people and see a group of people come down and give their hearts to Jesus Christ. I never got to do that. I was always last. I was I was always, quote, in my mind, the insignificant one. I was always the one that didn't think I had much to contribute. Oh, but you prayed. You prayed, you gave, you sent, you believed, you labored, you worked, you cleaned, you helped, you greeted, you ushered, you did these things. And because you made the church of Jesus Christ beautiful and you made Jesus attractive and you demonstrated love when you thought nobody was looking and you were last and everybody may have thought you were last, Jesus is going to say to you in heaven, come to the front of the line. I have something great for you. I have a tremendous responsibility for you to do in my kingdom. How about you? Are you living for that moment? Does the fact that you're going to be raised up from the dead. Provide any motive in you to live for that moment. To serve God in that capacity of what God has given me to do. There are people in your workplace that are depressed, people in your schools that are suicidal, even in Christian schools, even in home schools. Sometimes home schools are the worst because you got nobody to talk to. And you're suicidal, you're discouraged. You're depressed and you're angry and you're hurting. We need Christians in those mission fields. We need people that that can be converted to Jesus Christ and live in those places of darkness and fight those demons that are trying to get people to kill themselves. And everybody that pretends they're happy or not. You know, most comedians are the most depressed people on the planet. Very suicidal. Hide their depression and their sorrow through laughing and joking and making fun of things. And they're extremely depressed. Sometimes that's what people might do in your workplace or your school. They like to be joking around and playing around and laughing around. Can't ever really be serious because the moment they get serious, the bowstring's just going to pop can't take this anymore. I want to conclude with or, or two scriptures, but I'm, I'm going to move to this one in Revelation. Just listen to it, if you would. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And God and has made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth and I think about that, and it goes on to say they were singing with a loud voice how worthy the Lamb is. And one of the things that happens to me in my life when I'm engaged with people, and I've had some pretty incredible experiences in my life. I've, I've watched God move through persecution to a place where. Revival would eventually come. I was. um, My first semester in, in college was at Southeastern. And if any of you are familiar with that way back. I stayed in this dorm called McNeely. It was condemned. The. Uh, semester. After I left and I stayed there one semester. I just could not bear it. So. So. I perceive I was the only Christian on the second floor. Well, actually, there was two others on the opposite end of the hall. I was thinking they were on the first floor. They were on the second floor at the opposite end of the hall. And they were Christians and they were, I think one was a senior, one was a junior. And they just kind of went up and down the hall telling everybody, welcoming everybody there. And they said, hey, we're having Bible studies on Thursday nights at Around 7, 7.30, thirty, in our room, we'd love for y'all to come. And man, I'm, it was just, you know, everybody was just turned off by that. And there was probably 20 guys on that second floor. And I was rooming with a, a friend of mine from high school who was not a Christian. He was a Catholic man and um, just did not have a heart for God. And so I was there and... We're getting into this. We're getting into our dorms, getting settled. Second week, you know, the whole hall is getting ready to go on Thursday night to the bars. And I'm I'm faced with a decision. I I haven't been into bars. And so faced with a decision, I'm away from my family. Nobody here knows that I'm a Christian and I can do anything I want to do. I can go out with them tonight. And I can experience this. And I wanted to. I can experience this. And I'm starting to justify it. I'm like 18 years old. And I'm justifying this that I could I could do this. and And through doing this, I could be a witness to them. You know, eventually I could be a witness to them. And. I started to have conflict in my spirit. Not because I'm a Christian. But because I love Jesus. When I was 18, I loved Jesus. And I started to have conflict in my spirit. I heard the Lord say to me. What did I do to you? It's you and me now. There's nobody here. There's no oversight of your life. There's, there's no parent. There's no person that's going to come and know what you did or get on your case. It's just me and you. What did I do to you? Am, am I even a thought about this? Do, do I have a say in this? Or is it just something you're going to do? And I'm wrestling with this with the Lord, you know, and, and God told me. You can go if you want. You can go if you want. I just want you to know I don't want you to. I have a greater purpose, a greater plan. But if you want to go, you can go. But I want you to know that you will have compromised your testimony for me. And your ability to really show these people who I am is going to be greatly Compromised because they're going to think you're a hypocrite, and so I said to the Lord, "Okay, I won't go." And the Lord said, "I don't want you to not want to go like that. I, I don't. I don't want you to be bitter with me." And so I just pressed it. Well, you got to help me because I'm upset with you, and I, I, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, and now I can't do this. And so I prayed, and the Lord helped me, and so I'm going to go to the Bible study. And I had like one of those little Gideon Bibles tucked in my back pocket, and the Lord says, no, you're not going like that. I said, what do you mean? He says, you're going to take your big Bible. You're going to take the big Bible that you can't hide, and you're going to walk from one end of the hall to the other end of the hall to the Bible study, and everybody's going to know that me and you are one. That we're friends. We're a thing. Me and you. And they're going to all know that. Because nobody had a private bathroom. There was one bathroom on that hall. Everybody used it. And everybody's getting ready. And so I took my Bible. And I walked down the hall. And as you could imagine. Cursing. Jesting. Mocking. Because I was now identified as one of them. And I walked down that hall to that Bible study and I sat in there with them. Through a course of time, this is like some of the most unruly guys. A couple of them were bouncers in the bars. But through the course of time and me and the other two guys being able to show our witness for Jesus, I was able to lead a guy who went to Central Private. I was able to lead him to the Lord. He was really saved and I knew his family and He was really saved, really came to Jesus. He and I just began to go through discipleship together. I was helping him. Suddenly other tragedies began to happen. One of the guys across the hall from me, his grandfather was diagnosed with a terminal illness. This was probably about a month into school. He was diagnosed with a terminal illness and he couldn't bear it. He comes and knocks on my door and he says, "I, I don't have anybody else I can really talk to about this, but I think you know God. My grandfather's going to die. I don't have anybody else in the world. He's it. He's my family. I have nobody else. I I don't know what to do. And I'm able to share the gospel with him. I'm able to share the love of God with him. And then one night towards the end of the semester, it's late at night. I I wake up. It's about 2.30 in the morning. And I'm awake. And I I just hear that, go to the bathroom. I don't need to go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. So I fight this a little bit. And I was just like this really strong urge. Go to the bathroom. So I got up and I went to the bathroom. And the man that was from Central Private that I was able to lead to the Lord. He was in there. He's a new Christian. He was in there. And there was about 15 men in that bathroom. Asking him, what happened to you? Because we knew you when you came here. But over the last month, something's really happened in your life. What's happening? And he said, I started telling him everything I knew about Jesus, which took me 30 seconds. And after that, I didn't know anything else to say. And so I began to pray, God, I need help. I need you to send somebody. And I guess that's why the Lord woke me up. And he sent me into the bathroom. And then for well over an hour, we were able to share the gospel with him. And I'm going to tell you, 15 men with the smell of vomit and alcohol got on their knees in that bathroom floor and repented and asked Jesus to come into their hearts. I witnessed that with my eyes. Because I am moved by the fact that if I have an opportunity to help anybody get to Jesus and get to heaven, because I really think that one of the greatest rewards I will ever see in heaven is to be able to just look around the throne and see you there. Maybe see somebody there that I worked with and I had the opportunity to lead them to the Lord. Even though I went through some persecution on the way to do that. And the persecution really wasn't all that much as Satan would have made me to think it was going to be the most horrible thing ever. And I was thinking about the fact that just to be able to lead somebody to Jesus Christ and to see them in heaven around the throne of God. Just look there and say, I had a part in that. I had a part in getting them to Jesus. Thank you, God, for not letting me compromise so easily. I would have easily done it. You still would have let me. But thank you for dealing with me as a son and as a friend and just letting me know that this is not what you wanted me to do. Thank you. When I look at people today that are so mad and so angry and so full of hate, wherever they are in any walk of life, I picture them worshiping God. Picture them. I see them in that state. Blasphemous, angry, like some of the things when we went to the Capitol this year and you're seeing some of the opposing sides and the the, the protests that are coming from those sides. And I would look at those people that are protesting and I would literally picture them. Standing in our altar, lifting their hands to Jesus and worshiping him. And I would just become moved in my heart with the compassion that I want to see you around the throne. And I'm not here to protest you and I'm not here against you. You're in darkness and you need light. And I want to see you around the throne of God. And that's why I do what I do. Because I could be a pastor and I could pastor a church and that gives me no reward in heaven. It gives me. It's, it could just be a job, an office of politics. That's all it could be. It, it makes no difference in eternity. But if if the why that I do this is to love Jesus and love you and help you walk with God and help somebody encounter and meet Jesus Christ and use what resources I have and what money I have. Because I never ask you to do something that Carla and I don't do. I never ask you to give if we don't give. I don't ask you to fast for missions and give a missions offering if we don't do it. I have the same opportunities as you have. And being in this desk does not give me an immediate access into heaven or any rewards. So I take this to heart and I take this with all of my might that I'm going to be raised up one day. And what I do now can be carried over into my eternity. I can tell you, I really want it to be. I really want to be able to demonstrate my love for Jesus now and forever. And I desire that for you. I want you to stand with me. I just want to give you an opportunity to surrender to the Lord, to the call that he has on your life. Sometimes we're looking for the the detailed call, you know. What's that, that exact description and call of my life? And it's fine to want to know that. But right now you need to know the immediate call. And if you're longing for something else and you're longing for something more, that's great. If any man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. That's a desire. It's like, God, I'm wanting this. But until that happens... You need to be content with where you are and the mission field that you're in. And you're not going to be a greater Christian and you're not going to be any more important and you will never do anything more spiritual because you go to the mission field or you go to the ministry or you stand on a stage. Then if God has called you to the work that you're in right now, he's called you to serve him there. There's nothing more spiritual that you could ever do. There's nothing more important that you could ever do than to serve God right where you are. And until he moves you, stop living in where you want to be and live where you are. Thrive where you are. Agree with God about the move. If if you know that there's something else for your life that's coming, agree with him about that. Say yes to that. But until God makes that way, Thrive where you are. Live where you are. And when you suffer, rejoice. Be happy. Because there's a resurrection. You're not miserable. And you suffer. Everybody in the world suffers. But you suffer with purpose. With reward. And so I just invite you to this altar. I just invite you to just press in close to the Lord, if you will. And really just examine, why do I work? I don't want to waste my life. And I work to be a witness for Jesus where I am. To be my mission field. And I work to receive an income so that I can use my finances to advance the kingdom of God. That's why I do it. For the kingdom purposes of God. That's why I do it. And if that's not your heart, but you believe it should be, ask God to change it. Ask God to do a work in your heart and your life. And maybe we haven't been such a great witness for God at work. Maybe we've compromised ourselves or blown our testimony. Well, let Jesus' testimony take over now. Humble yourself. Ask people for forgiveness tell people where you may have misrepresented Jesus you know when I lost my temper with you when I lashed back at you I'm sorry would you forgive me and that would go a long way looking for ways to wash people's feet going the second mile helping them finish up a job that you're not obligated to help them with but just showing the love of God somebody who wants to kill themselves to be free from them. Helping someone out of depression, out of despair.